This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time to be taken on a journey on the DJ Mac Travel Show, only on Plains FM. Hello everyone and welcome to today's show. It's uh, the DJ Mac Travel Show as you're all aware and we haven't really been doing a lot of travel so today we're going to do a little bit of a background on certain things that have been um, talked about lately and also just give a, I've got some information on some airlines around the world that are having some interesting times. So um, yeah, welcome to the show. So today's show we're going to talk firstly about a proposed travel bubble to the Cook Islands. Now, the Cook Islands is part of New Zealand in a, a certain um, financial and supportive way, and there is talk um, about a travel bubble that will be available to us to travel to the Cook Islands by Christmas of this year, hopefully. So keep an eye out for that. It'll be an interesting time. It's also been announced that a number of uh, accommodation or resorts in the Cook Islands will not be available because they're closing the doors now because of the just the lack of um, travel, obviously, and the amount of money that it is costing to maintain or keep them. So keep an eye on for that. It would be interesting times um, at Christmas time if you wanted to travel out of New Zealand to the Cook Islands and maybe hopefully Fiji as well which is also in the same situation as the Cook Islands they are COVID-19 free. There's also been a little bit of talk about um, on Talkback Radio and other radio stations about um, cruise ships and putting them making them into quarantine type facilities and it sounds a really good idea at first to basically have a cruise ship based in a harbour somewhere or up a, uh, along a wharf and basically it's a quarantine facility. But it's it's not as such, sort of as easy as it necessarily could sound. Um, firstly, um, ships are owned by overseas cruise ship companies, many of them, for example, um, Carnival, which is an American company. If we talk about the Pacific Aria, for example, which is a medium-sized cruise ship based in uh, Australia, owned by P&O Cruises, which is, once again, a Carnival company, that ship at the present time is north of uh, Singapore, and most of, most of its crew are not even there. They were back in their home countries, such as the Philippines. A large number of cruise ships are also um, anchored in Manila Bay and also around Singapore and also off the coast of Florida um, in Bermuda and in, 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 in the Caribbean as such. So if you were to bring the cruise ship down here to New Zealand, for example, anchor it in the Auckland Harbour or place it on Princess Wharf or Queen's Wharf down in Auckland, the biggest thing you'd have to firstly deal with is who's going to staff it. So you'd have possibly a foreign crew, mainly Filipino people, um, doing the rooms and cleaning the rooms. So therefore they'd have to be quarantined for 14 days before they got here. It would take at least three weeks for the ship to arrive. And then also, so you've got a foreign crew, um, you've got a ship that's based in the port facility such as Auckland, um, 
or ports of Auckland doesn't have, to my knowledge, the ability to power a ship. So that means the ship would be sitting there um, running on its own diesel generators. And so the logistics of it is quite... Not, it's not as easy as just putting a ship in the harbour as such. Also, if you look at our quarantine facilities, I know a number of the hotels in New Zealand are owned by overseas organisations, but if you also talk about the Distinction Hotel, which we have one here in Christchurch in the square, that's actually owned by a New Zealand company, which is based in, in Vicarkel. So then, and they are employing New Zealanders, obviously, to service, clean the rooms, and so it, it is sort of possibly even though it doesn't look the best option, it is probably a better option than the cruise ship um, way to go. And I don't think that's that's possibly why the government hasn't gone down that route either. The other one is also um, looking, look at updates on the World Health Organization website. Um, there's a number of um, information there talking on an international perspective of what's actually going on outside of New Zealand. Um, and also go to the safetravel.govt.nz website and that will give you an update on what's actually, what can be done. So you can in some cases leave New Zealand if you want to, um, but the advisory is not to, obviously because of connections and the return back to New Zealand. So if you were going to leave New Zealand for a holiday somewhere, which is not 100% advisable, you'd have to do your self-quarantine when you come home or in in an isolation facility provided by the New Zealand government. And in those, Nate, so 12 o'clock last night, Monday, um, you would have to pay for your quarantine um, because you've left within the period of of the new regulations that have come in. So that's one thing there. So that's safetravel.govt.nz. And there's a lot of information on that website as well. And then there's also just do a Google search for the World Health Organization, which is basically WHO, and that's another one to come into play there. So back to New Zealand. We seem to be somewhat in a very much a, our own bubble. We seem to not be, um, well, unless you're listening to international news and so forth, it's, it seems to be life as normal. And, um, and yet around the world, it is not. And when I was um, sort of watching TV, um, I was in the Coasters Bar up in Redwood, um, we had a, a, an event, we had some people out on a tour and we we're having a meal there and we were watching the game between the Crusaders and the Highlanders and just the fact that there was no social distancing um, and so that was, and obviously would be screening overseas such as Australia and um, our presenters are just standing relatively very close to us and so it gives you an idea of how lucky we are in New Zealand um, because of what's our, our border control, our lockdown that has actually stopped uh, community transmission of COVID-19. So, um, yeah, so what what to next? Um, I've made a few sort of ideas um, in some ways about travel around New Zealand. I think we should all be travelling around New Zealand and seeing a little bit of our country that we probably, A, don't have time to, or B, we just haven't been bothered to do that. And ultimately, a road trip is what you really want to sort of get out and about and have a look around if possibly you can and choose small towns with a small motel or a hotel or something that's quite quirky and get out and about and support our local businesses and local communities and and 
either the North or the South Island. The other um, interesting thing to probably start looking at is joining a club. So uh, last night, Monday night, I went to the Cashmere Club and I um, sat in a meeting at the Christchurch Four-Wheel Drive Club. And um, it was a quite interesting, fun evening and um, seen a different perspective of a, of a club. So, and there's heaps of clubs in Christchurch, from swimming to surfing, bowling, rowing, um, any type of activity that you want to get involved in. And this may be something that, as time progresses onwards, that we look into doing is is joining a club. So, um, and yeah, have a have a look around and basically do once again more Google searching and finding things that you are interested in, and you might find that there are other organisations out there. From, like I said, the four wheel drive to a car club or any other type of club in Christchurch. Okay, so now on to the next part of the show. I've, I've been doing some research on airlines around the world and just on some of the things that are going on with some of these airlines and how they're responding to the global pandemic called COVID-19. So, for example, Virgin Atlantic, which is owned, well, one of the major shareholders of that organisation is Richard Branson, um, has filed for bankruptcy on August the 5th. So Atlantic Airways um, has filed for Chapter 15 in bankruptcy protection as an airline warns that they are running out of money. The London-based flagship of Virgin Group is the second to go under in 2020 after Virgin Australia entered into a voluntary administration. Virgin filed for bankruptcy in the Southern District of New York According to the court's documents, the airline is seeking protection from creditors in the United States. The The New York filing is in addition to proceeding files in the filed in British courts. As part of the British case, Virgin Atlantic will facilitate meetings to effectively its creditors. This is a, a common occurrence that happens in the United States with a large number of airlines. They file for bankruptcy, um, Chapter 15, which protects them from, um, basically opens the door for correspondence between basically its creditors and maintaining its operations to trade itself out of that. So that's, that's part of why it's done that and also because Virgin Atlantic would be using um, American suppliers for certain products in, in, such as fuel and all sorts of um, operations within the United States. The group and its businesses have been advisedly, adversely affected by the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, which has caused an unprecedented near shutdown of the global passenger aviation industry. Global aviation was one of the first industries to be impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic and is likely to be one of the last to fully recover. So Virgin Atlantic is basically saying that they need $1.2 billion in a rescue package. Um, the airline a total British told British court without that funding they would run out of money at the end um, basically of this month. And um, yeah, and it's the figures are astronomical on how much it's actually lost. So Virgin is in an awkward position because of its ownership structure and it is actually 49% also is owned by Delta Airlines in the United States. So it's um, it's a, an iconic airline in its original beginnings um, in the early 
um, late 70s, early 80s, because um, it went head to head with British Airways and um, and really made a brand for itself. So it is relatively unfortunate that the situation has now ended with this, um, where it possibly will survive, but it will basically come out of it very, very um, wounded and like a lot of other airlines as well. So if we now turn to Virgin Australia, which is the main competitor for Qantas and and um, and Jetstar within the Australian market. So Virgin Australia, to slash 3,000 jobs, acts as its Tiger Air subsidiary. So Tiger Air is a similar sort of product as what Jetstar offers in Australia. Virgin Australia, Qantas, the two big competitors, Qantas owning Jetstar and Virgin owning Tiger Air. So... Virgin Australia will cut one-third of its workforce. The Bain Group, or Bain Capital, is the company that has financially taken over um, from Virgin Australia, so they're the new owners, um, and they are basically going to be cutting 3,000 jobs um, will made redundant. With further more Virgin budget subsidies, Tiger Air will also decease operation. So Virgin Australia will basically turn itself into a value um, airline, So, and it's uh, centred around domestic and short-haul international flights. So this will in some way impact on New Zealand, but not dramatically, um, because they are basically saying that they are going to, Air Virgin Australia will continue to operate a fleet of Boeing 737s, which is what Virgin uses to do trans-Tasman um, routes from its destinations in Australia to Auckland, Wellington, and also here to Christchurch. So they will be removing their fleet of ATR-72s, its Boeing 777s, and its Airbus A330s, and also an Airbus A320 which is what Air New Zealand and Jetscar use here. They're the A320, they use those aircraft here in New Zealand. And the company will become a fully-fledged 737-800 series aircraft airline. So they'll only be flying 737s. They will also be ditching relatively um, non-profitable routes with smaller aircraft around Australia. So they'll only really be servicing the main centres and also taking into account that one of the busiest air routes in the world is the flight from Sydney to Melbourne and Melbourne back to Sydney. So it is, that is a very highly um, high demand flight um, area and, and is well well serviced. So in some ways it's good for Australia. Um, it does mean that Virgin Australia will survive and that Qantas will have a competitor. A bit like what we have here in New Zealand. It would be a shame for Jetstar to disappear out of the New Zealand marketplace, um, allowing even though New Zealand is very good allowing Air New Zealand to have full run on the domestic market um, would not be um, excellent idea for our wallets when we wanted to travel anywhere. So that's Virgin Atlantic and Virgin Australia. So let's go overseas and we'll talk about a number of airlines overseas. So for example, NAN, which is all Nippon Airways, which basically Nippon is the is means Japan, so all Japan airlines, Lufthansa and Ethertaf which is uh, obvious Lufthansa is German and Ethertaf is the national carrier of Abu Dhabi and United Arab Emirates. So the 
first uh, three airlines that I just talked about, um, ANA, Lufthansa and Ifatath, have released their information from January to June and it's not exciting sort of stuff. So passengers carried by these three airlines was 3,500,000 by Ifatath, 23,500,000 by Lufthansa and ANA was 11,240,000. Their percentage of carriage per year. So this is on year on year is is down by Ithtath is down by fifty eight percent. Lufthansa is down by sixty six percent, and ANA, which is the Japanese carrier, is down by fifty seven percent. Their load factor is not so bad, I guess. It's seventy one percent for Ithtath. Lufthansa is seventy two, and ANA is forty three. But it's the value, the percentage on year on year. They've got dropped of at least 30 up to 50% of their overall capacity has fallen. With the German carrier Lufthansa, which we've seen a lot of in the middle of the lockdown and also prior after the lockdown, was flying in and out of Christchurch with uh, um, repatriation flights with 747s um, back to Germany. They have posted a loss so far of $1.7 billion and they are intending on cutting up to 22,000 full-time jobs and furthermore, the COVID-19 has sparked a downsizing plan of the airline which will see their fleet reduced by 100 aircraft. So they are also a large operator of the Airbus A380 and also they've been taking delivery of the new, um, also the new 747-8. So that is, um, they're large volume seated aircraft and there's just no need for them at the moment other than turning them into freighters. So the German government owns a 20% stake in Lufthansa, so its viability is not so bad. It probably will survive, or will have to survive because of being the national carrier. In the terms of Lufthansa's outlook, a small rebound has begun. The airline is benefiting from first signs of recovery on tourist routes um, into basically places like the Mediterranean and into the Caribbean. Moving forward, Lufthansa has voted, vowed to continue expanding their short-haul flight program and increasing capacity. Overall group capacity is now sitting around 20%. So they've had a major hit, but they basically have stored a lot of their larger aircraft and um, maintaining a a relatively European-type service. Also, so all Nippon Airways of Japan, despite a major slowdown in the international market, um, ANA has continued to relatively strong domestic performance. And furthermore, June saw a 232% increase in passenger carriage compared to May. Nevertheless, ANA is currently sitting at 15% passenger coverage on year to year. So basically, that their plane, a, a plane is basically leaving with 15% of its seats. Um, full. Obviously freight is the big winner. Um, There's a lot of cargo being moved um, around the world and um, basically because of the reduction in passenger flights, which also had a large amount of cargo facility happening, um, that 
basically has shortened the capacity. So, yeah, here we go. So basically ANA is saying passenger demand for both international and domestic flights declined significantly while we aggressively work to offset lost revenue by catering for the increased demand for international cargo transportation. We were unable to offset the unpredicted, patented, unpredicted impact of COVID-19. So basically we've all, the borders are closed. Basically everything has come to a a grinding halt. Um, the next one airline to post uh, information um, on losses in the same period is Singapore Airlines, which has posted a one billion loss, and passenger numbers are down by ninety nine point five percent. So, as you're aware, that Singapore Airlines flies was flying every day into Christchurch from Singapore, which was a great connection for many of us um, into Asia or into Europe. And so this airline has been um, relatively very, very um, severely affected. It also owns a number of other airlines as well. It also owns a um, low-budget-carrying international service called Scoot, which um, operates obviously out of Singapore, and they were flying... um, dim sort of a, a cheaper version of Singapore Airlines into Australia and also Japan and China. So, and also Silk Air, which is another subsidiary, which is basically operated out of Singapore as a, more of a domestic service into Thailand and other Asian um, countries such as Vietnam and over into India. So so the passenger numbers are down. So the basically 99.5% of its passenger numbers are down. And this would also be made up because of Singapore being a, a, a city state. So there's no real reason to fly domestically within Singapore. So all of their travel is international and also Singapore being a, a transit point. So you might fly in with one airline and fly out with Singapore somewhere else. Um, that has ceased as well. So that is giving it its major um, losses. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. So Singapore Airlines has scaled back its operations into two low demand airports, um, but has maintained key routes. Throughout the quarantine, the airline maintained a skeleton network to initially connect Singapore with 14 key destinations. Um, This has since increased to 24. So, and Christchurch, I believe, is one of those destinations that it has increased to. So, The outlook for Singapore Airlines, the Singapore Airlines Group expressed some optimism in relationship to the global travel rebound. The group, this, um, the group said that the recovery of the commercial airline travel and air freight is necessarily a catalyst to the recovery of the global trade. In meantime, meanwhile, however, Singapore Airlines is anticipating a two- to four-year recovery for passenger numbers. So, um, the group's passenger capacity may reach less than half of its pre-COVID-19 levels. Um, we are reviewing the potential shape and the size of the network over the long term, given that COVID and its impact on our passenger traffic and revenue, which will provide better clarity on the fleet size and mix that the group um, will need. So basically, Singapore Airlines operates uh, basically a a large fleet, but not a a diverse number of aircraft. So it has 777s, Boeing 777s, it has Boeing 787s, and also it has the new Airbus A350, and it's phasing out its four-engined Airbus A380. 
So those those bigger aircraft are basically all doomed, and that's basically where we come to Air New Zealand, our national carrier. So Air New Zealand has relatively very quickly turned into a major domestic carrier, which it was before, but of course it had the international component, and that is now not necessarily there. There are from what I understand, full flights leaving sometimes to Los Angeles, but it's also the reflight back is not full. And it, if it is full, it has New Zealand people returning, re- being repatriated due to their circumstances, um, loss of work, um, unable to um, have government assistance when you're overseas and basically returning home um, to see where the world goes from here. So Air New Zealand has grounded all of its um, Boeing 777s, has a mixture of fleets of 777s. It has a total of 15, and four of those aircraft are actually parked here. They are 14-year-old Boeing 777-200ERs, so they're one of the first parts of the upgrade of the Air New Zealand fleet. Um in the early 2000s, late 90s. Um, And those aircraft have recently just been moved from there. They're still stored at Christchurch, but they've been moved from where they were to make room for um, the Antarctic program, which is getting started, which I also understand that there are people in quarantine here in Christchurch that are um, getting themselves ready to go down for the Antarctic program, which is going to be starting soon. Air New Zealand also has, so they've moved four of those Boeings um, into a different part of the airport, but they possibly will never possibly fly for Air New Zealand again, and they'll probably either be sold in a market that is relatively very heavy with a large wide-bodied aircraft for sale. The total number of aircraft that Air New Zealand presently is operating is around about 114, and they're made up of Airbus A320s, ATR-72s, and Bombardier Q300s, which are the ATR and the Bombardier are turbopropped aircraft. And also we have a number of those stored at Christchurch Airport as well. Air New Zealand is using a majority of its 787s, which it has 14 of those, and its Airbus A320s and its latest, the Airbus A320neos on trans-Tasman flights um, and also... Um, international flights for the Boeing 787. Most of these flights are being used for freight and also for repatriation of of people back to New Zealand and it's relatively a very uh, skeletoned um, result of um, crewing and basically a large number of staff have obviously been made redundant or have been basically put off um, waiting to see what happens in the future. The Triple seven fleet that Air New Zealand does have and does not get rid of out of the 15 they have is not expected to start flying again until um, April 2021. So that is a, a relatively very long time for a very expensive pieces of assets to be sitting around waiting for the, the world to return back to somewhat of normality. Um, So that's a bit of a rundown of where certain airlines are coming from. Maybe some are not so relevant in New Zealand. I think Singapore Airlines is important to New Zealand because it is a a vital connection to other parts of the world that when we don't have to rely on Qantas or Air New Zealand um, 
definitely out of Christchurch, for example, um, and also with Emirates. Um, didn't really cover much about Emirates, but they are, are still in the same position as many other airlines. They have reduced their capacity. They're flying as services that they know they can. Um, and yes, it's uh, an interesting time. Um, okay, everyone. Well, that's today's show. I hope you found the information um, to be interesting and, and and definitely do some Google searching, have a look around. But basically get back to doing some travel around New Zealand, um, find out about some clubs in New Zealand as well and well, definitely here in Christchurch and, uh, and, and get out and about and enjoy um, New Zealand. Okay, I uh, hope you're all well and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. If you like today's show and would like to hear it again, please go to plainsfm.org.nz and download the podcast by searching the DJ Mac Travel Show. If you would like more information and would like to talk to someone, maybe myself, then please call us on 0800 196633 and that's at Identity Tours here in Christchurch. Thank you and have a good week. <laughs>